Welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. This episode is sponsored by Team Rankstar and Inked Gaming. Visit TeamRankstar.com for all the latest Tesla news, and visit Inked Gaming and use the code TRS12 to get 12% off your next order of customized gaming gear. Hey, and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. I'm your host, Mark Lutz, from Western Pennsylvania, and with me this evening, I have a very special guest, um, the best hair in Elder Scrolls Legends, as I hear, um, the best interviewer in Elder Scrolls Legends, um, team rank star, uh, content uh, curator, um, amongst many things, this man wears many, many hats, um, with me uh this evening, I have uh, Lasergician from Team Rank Star. Lasergician, how are you doing tonight? After that intro, it'd be hard not to be doing well, man. I mean, my mom's that nice to me. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta lay it all out there for for our <laughs> special guests, you know. I mean, let's. Uh, we actually have a question who ca- that came in over our Discord specifically about your hair today. So yeah, the answer to that was never heat treat it and only shampoo it every other day so it doesn't get dry. Never heat. <laughs> okay. Well, that question was from a little Jamie. So little Jamie, you can you might stop listening to the episode because we already <laughs> answered your question. You now know how to get the best hair that you possibly can. I got you, buddy. <laughs> awesome well man how how are you doing uh what's going on with you and, and what are you doing in elder scrolls legends right now i'm doing good um i so okay usually my my approach to ladder in any given month is do i feel like memes or do i feel like premium copies of a monthly card because that means i either stop at rank four or at top 1000 legend um but like miraculously I entered Legend this season at like 109, which has never happened to me before. Oh, wow. So, yeah. so I'm uh, taking this opportunity to go super try-hard mode, um, like only playing good decks on ladder and try- gunning for top 100 because I've never bothered trying before. It's one of those things where I always said, you know, I, I probably could if I wanted to, but I, I don't have the time. I don't blah, blah, blah. But I don't really have excuses this year or month, so we'll see how it goes. I'm at 93 right now, so I just got to maintain for like three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, um, you know, Elder Scrolls doesn't really, like Legends doesn't necessarily feel like a grind until you're trying to get it a top 100. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, and then there, there's definitely a bit of a grind to it. It's like, okay, win one, lose one, win two, lose three, win three, win one, you know. Uh, there's definitely a little bit of like the, the grind where you get a little bit more of the rock, paper, scissors, and you can't just find that one deck that just seems to work at this rank and crush yep. the rank with it. And, and it's it's doubly uh, convoluted for me because I don't want to be filming for my YouTube channel while I'm trying really, really hard because, as most streamers and content creators will attest, it's much more difficult to play optimally while you're talking. Um, 
Sure. Or if you're playing optimally, it's harder to create engaging content. Exactly. So for instance, I'm just jamming the same aggro Dagoth list over and over and over because I'm super comfortable with it because it's been working well for me. But, you know, I can make like maybe one video with that list, but then, you know, you kind of need other video content. So I'm going to be doing a lot of my content in casual this month, um, which is kind of fun because it opens up a lot of potential for doing sillier and sillier stuff. And yeah. also, I've like finally started branching out into non-Tesla content, just kind of because, I don't know, I, I, there are other games that I really like playing that I just haven't been playing a lot of, so I said, screw it, let's try filming it. It has gone terribly, um, absolutely awful. But So like Dota Underworlds? No, that... like like non-card games. Oh, non... I thought Dota Underworlds was not a card uh, okay, game. Okay, that's true. It's true. Non-strategy games. Oh, okay. So... so like, for instance, I'm doing a Let's Play of Devil May Cry 5, which okay. is just an action RPG kind of game, which is super fun. It's a series that I really like. I really wanted to play the new game, but I just, you know, never got around to it. So now I'm kind of saying, you know what? It's, I, I'm going to make videos on the things I want to play. And nine times out of ten, that's going to be Legends. But, you know, maybe once every now and again, I'm going to play not strategy games. Yeah. So, your, I mean, your MMR had to have been pretty high to come into Legend at rank, uh, what, 109. Yeah. Um, so just tell me what what deck did you use? I mean what deck? I mean you had to have a pretty streaky deck. I mean you hit legend obviously pretty early, and I don't know how often you hit, how early you usually hit legend, but this is way earlier than usual. Yeah, I mean this you, if you've been legend for you know a couple of like a, a while already, um, you had to have hit legend within the first week of the of a season. I think I hit it on the ninth, something like that. Okay, but, yeah, like right off the bat. Exactly. So what I, what I did was, usually my MO is I will play one deck for each rank. So from five to four mm. is one deck, from four to three is another. And I do that so I can, you know, film from one rank to the next and get interesting content. Because over the course of, you know, because again, you're not playing optimally when you're recording maybe 10, 15 games to rank up, maybe 20, depending on what deck I'm playing. Um you're bound to get some interesting footage somewhere in there. But sure, yeah. this season I built a, I actually have a video out for it now. It's an aggro assassin using the new monthly card, the Sentinel Reclaimer, mm-hmm. which I think the deck, the archetype is really, really strong, but the way I built it is hyper, hyper, hyper ladder only. It would okay. do absolutely horrible in a tournament because it has, it runs Less than three copies of Wardcrafter and less than three copies of Shrieking Harpy, which if you're ever building a competitive deck, do not do that. That is a terrible idea. Those cards are amazing. Yeah, Wardcrafter is the most – I see Wardcrafter right now more than any other card in the game. It's so good. It should be a three of in any deck you run it in, except – Or nerfed. One, yeah, yeah, okay. That, yeah, yeah. I, it, it's, I have a personal hatred towards Wardcrafter right now. Honestly, if Wardcrafter was a 1-1 one, one, with the same summon, it'd be just as good. Yeah. Yeah, it has to cost more. Yeah, but it's so, a two mana ward. Yeah, right yeah, okay. But in, instead of building a reasonable deck, I built an assassin aggro deck that is entirely focused on trying to high roll as consistently as possible. So, for instance, in my early game, there is the only cards that don't have um, at least like four stats between their attack and defense are Wardcrafter and Shrieking Harpy. For instance, I'm running like. Uh, that's not true. I'm also running the Crown Quartermasters, but I run in like nine one drops, so I very consistently get on the board on turn one, with or without the ring. 
I'm running the Slinking Jackal, the 4-2 for 2, which really abuses the fact that for some reason everyone is cutting Firebolt from their decks. I don't know. Other than Mid-Battle Mage. That's a very bad Mid-Battle Mage matchup. But the deck is so fast that it kind of just gets under every other deck if you get one of those good openings. And it's designed very specifically to get a good opening. Are you playing the Oathman that if you have an yes. intelligence card of the battlefield, it deals two damage to your opponent? Yes. The one drops I'm running are the uh, Crown Quartermaster. Crown Quartermaster, the Oathman, and Midnight Trespasser, which is a mm-hmm. bafflingly good card. Yeah, that's the one mana 2-2 two, two that can consume to become a one mana 3-3. Three, three. Correct. And mm-hmm. the other a couple episodes ago, I was listening to them, and uh, Bradford Lee, I think, said that it's more, no, it was LMAO from the last episode saying that if you have a crown uh, 2-2 on turn one, you just play it. You don't need yes. to fall into the trap of waiting for it to be a consume activation, which is entirely correct. There are terms where I get um, a crown quartermaster or a midnight trespasser and then also an oathman for 4-4 four, four worth of stats on turn one and do two damage, which is very, very hard for decks to deal with. It's actually weirdly a better opening than ring Mornhold Trader. Because if your opponent has something like a Wardcrafter that can trade over time or a uh, Fighter's Guild recruit, um, it's more easy to contest one thing in this meta where you're doing a lot of big, chunky things over and over and over than it is to get two relatively big things. So the deck just snowballs and high rolls more often than not. It's also disrupted by a stiff breeze. So if your opponent has like more than one piece of removal in their opening hand, you just lose. Like, you, you never win that game. Yeah. It, you, but, I tried playing this deck, um, and it was probably different, right? Because I, I made it on my own. I didn't look up a list. Totally. And, um, yeah, definitely. Like, it's it's if you don't, if you don't, like, get the board in the beginning and just keep the board, and if they have an execute and a firebolt in their hand, you just lose the game. Exactly. Um, because you you cannot battle the board. Like, this is not a deck that you trade. You just go face. It's only face. The the only reactive tools that I have are one cap copy of Shrieking Harpy and three Black Hen Messengers. And I only have the Black Hen Messengers because they can also function as two points of reach. Yes, because you're running the, I don't know if it's Sacrificial Pact or whatever it is, it's the three mana deal two to your opponent, gain two life, and then you can sack a creature to do it again, correct? Right, I'm actually not running that. Oh, you're uh, not? That's interesting. Yeah, what I'm doing instead is I'm running a higher density of item generators. So I basically replaced that with the Sentinel Reclaimers. Um, sure. And the, re- yes. the reason that works better, in my opinion, is because... When someone sees a Black Hand Messenger, they don't see that as a threat, right? It's a 0-2. Maybe eventually it'll do two more damage to me. I don't need to deal with it right now. Mm-hmm. But if you pair that with Sentinel Reclaimer, suddenly it is one of the best item bearers in the deck. Sure. Now you have a 4-2 with Drain that when it gets killed, deals two damage to your opponent again. Which is particularly great in Aggressive Mirrors, where you already removed one of their threats with the Summon Effect gained a little bit of life now you have a drainer on the board and that's getting more damage in and helping you in the race so i yeah very it strong. works out pretty well. very strong yeah that's interesting i think that um this game right now is struggling aggro is struggling to find a place um because of there's just a lot of mid-range a, a lot 
a lot like a lot of mid-range um like a crazy amount and then there's also a moderate amount of control that plays like mid-range um basically if the colors are red and blue um it's pretty playable right now um maybe with the exception of red blue purple uh, but Battle Mage, playable. Um, Guild Sworn, uh, playable. Uh, Dagoth, very playable. And those are the decks that I'm seeing by far more than anything else. It's the two different versions of Battle Mage that are out there right now. You're seeing um, a really aggressive uh, Prophecy Battle Mage. You're seeing mid, more defensive Battle Mage. You're seeing the control mid, like mid to heavy control Guild Sworn. And you're seeing like the aggressive to mid um, Dagoth deck. And those decks are really, really populating the ladder right now. You know what deck absolutely destroys almost, not literally, but almost all of them? What deck is that? Uh, removal heavy mid-range tribunal yeah and that that deck is becoming popular it's very strong too god i, I wish it wouldn't i hate playing against that deck well it's uh, you so know, good i found legend so my my week in legends was incredibly frustrating um i started this thing where i got this stationary bicycle bicycle thing it goes on my bike in my basement so i can go downstairs and feel like i'm accomplishing something by getting a little bit in shape, a little bit in shape, um, and I can throw my iPad there and play Legends while I'm cycling in place, and uh, it helps it go by faster. And I've been really very frustrated. I I was yesterday. I was like, I'm done with this. I've been sitting at rank one for like four days. I've tried every deck that I can think of to try to get. I mean, I was playing Orcs for a while. Like yeah. Just give me something to push to legend. And I was just winning one, winning two, losing three. Like I just could not, I couldn't for the life of me find the deck that I, that would push me into legend. Um, and I was very, very frustrated. I went up to bed last night. I'm laying in bed and I was thinking about the conversation that I had with Elameo. And in the conversation I had with Elameo, he was talking about this Dagoth deck, not Dagoth, I'm sorry, Empire deck that was a control Empire deck with a lot of ramp that was trying to exploit the new legendary dragon whose name I still won't pronounce, but it's an 8-9. Calgranteed. Calgranteed. 8-9 with guard for 12 mana that summons Halls of the Colossus that allows you to summon a uh, three times, allows you to summon a non-unique um, dragon from your deck. And I'm laying there in bed and I remember him saying, I do not play sheer point in it because I don't want to play the rest of the kit. And I thought to myself, and you know, all the curses and everything. I thought to myself, man, there's a lot of wards out there right now that are really difficult to deal with. And Wardcrafter is my least favorite card in the game currently. And what deals with Wardcrafter? Well, negation and curse. Those deal with Wardcrafter. So I decided to throw together um, not an Empire deck, but I ended up going with an Ulmeri Dominion deck. And I threw it together today, and I'm running all of that curse package. The the, the knockoffs or finish-offs, the, uh, the leaf lurkers. I'm running um, the new Goblin, uh, the 3-1 for the 4. The Murkwater Scourge. Murkwater Scourge, which is an incredible card, by the way. Um, and then I, I'm even running uh, the 2-mana 1-1 one, one that gives something minus 1-1. One, minus one. I'm getting a chance to run the Legendary that does 1-1-1 one, minus one, minus one to the entire board that I've had that I haven't 
put in a deck yet. Right. Um, and uh, love it. It's running all of the control stuff that you would run in yellow, along with a lot of the control stuff that you would run in green, and several of the control items that you'd run in blue. Plus, I'm running a top end of, you know, sheer points and um, undying dragons. I'm with Calgon Teed at the top of that as well. And uh, just really, really enjoying uh, this deck. In fact, I pushed to Legend today, and I think I was at the bottom. Yeah, I was in the loser's bracket of Legend, and I pushed <laughs> to Legend losing one game the nice. whole day. Um, so that is definitely the deck if I'm going up into into the Legend ranks at all. And I entered it, I think, Legend 295, which isn't bad. That's pretty um, good. That's that's probably safe enough that if I don't play in ranked again, I still get the uh, the uh, premium yeah. version of the month's legendary. I so, believe that. Yeah, maybe not, but maybe a couple of games, and I'll get that premium version. Yeah, you, you know what other deck is really really good for kind of the same reasons. What deck is that? Caracon Jewels Curse Archer. Oh yeah, I bet you that would be his. Like now, that's a that's a Curse Archer, but it also runs Rages, right? It runs runs one rage runs because Caracon Jewel does that where he'll run one copy of something super impactful. So your opponent always has to be thinking about it, but you can't really afford to play around it either because it's just the one copy. So you, if you're going to, okay, everyone who's listening, heed these words. If you are going to play a Caracon Jewel's Curse Archer, you have to change it for a ladder. That is a tournament build. It will not work as well. However, the skeleton is really, really good, and you can kind of change around some of the meat on those bones, and it'll be a very good ladder deck. Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I built that deck um, and even put the – I crafted the couple cards that I needed to finish it, and I never actually took it out on ladder. I had too many <laughs> tournament decks to play with. There were so many tournament decks that I could build and play so with. so fun, too. There are a lot of really strong tournament decks out there. Uh, I will definitely agree with that. And there's a lot of fun ones out there. Oh, I can agree with that as well. Um, yeah, definitely got to experimenting around with a handful. And honestly, that's really what I climbed with um, out of out of the decks that I was playing. Like the decks that I climbed with this season. Now, I went to Legend with this Dominion deck. Um, but uh, the, the Super Thanks is uh, Aggro Dagoth. And Foldier's Token uh, Empire deck. Those were the two decks that I I played with the most. Yeah. You know know what deck I really want to play with some more? I really want to play Super Thanks' Aggro Dominion deck. Yes, yes. I played that a ton last season, at the end of last season. So Aggro Dominion was an archetype that I played to Legend um, the season before the Masters Finals. And his version was very significantly different than mine. My, my version, I, I called it over-the-top Dominion. Um, check out my YouTube for a video of it. Where it had a lot of ways to uh, control, not control, but establish a board presence early. And then push a bunch of damage. And then had more reach than average. So that when your opponent inevitably stabilizes, my game plan was, I will allow them to stabilize and then kill them with reach very consistently. And... That worked pretty well, but Super's list, I, I got to talk to him because a whole bunch of us TRS folks were at the tournament. We got to talk about lists, and that list is, is very, very good at you know playing the long game. It, the way um, Ladder Alice and Endo were explaining it while Super was on stage was that it's an aggro deck that never gasses out. And 
I must be playing it real wrong, but I, I really want to play that deck and kind of analyze how he was playing it because that is a very unique position for an aggro deck, and I really want to see how it can manage to do that. Yeah, I played that deck a decent amount, um, and I have found that there's mm, like there's a lot of decks that seem to turn it around too easily um, with just a prophecy um, because you you want to turn on the aggression. And at the same time, you don't want to turn on the aggression. Like, it, it, you you feel like you want to play this deck like an aggro deck. Like, I'm just going to drop stuff and go face as hard as I can. But oftentimes, giving your opponent cards is not actually what this deck wants to do. It's a very um, decision-intensive deck. Yeah, and I was not playing it making great decisions. Um, I think I played it maybe from rank five to four this season um, because that was the deck I'm most interested in for whatever reason. I think there's the combination in the Dominion um, and the Dominion like cards is something that I'm interested in, which I didn't expect to be because I was I was a pretty heavy purple player. Um, purple and red were kind of the, the main decks that I had a lot of cards in. And that's kind of what I expected come back to and play a lot but i have found that i'm actually really enjoying the play style of the dominion decks and the options that the dominion decks have um i wish that i knew how to play that deck better i think it probably needs tweaked to be better for the latter as well i agree i agree i think it does too and dominion is a really interesting class in that it's you know its color identity is very very devoid of um, non-board utility. It has ways to move creatures around. Has ways to trick trades. It has removal. But for instance, there's no silence. Or there, yeah, there's no silence other than Pendidus Oculatus Agent, which is only sort of silence. Has yeah, no sure, support just removal. Steal some keywords. Yeah, no support removal. And on average, there's no beef to the creatures. Right? All the creatures are very fragile but very tricky, and they have lots of That's ways accurate. to. They have lots of ways to get really, really good board-based utility, but it's really hard to use it correctly, in my experience. And you know, I, I my favorite archetype of all time is mid-range Daggerfall. It's the ultimate good stuff deck. I don't have to think about anything. I just say, which of my big boys uses the most of my mana? Okay, I'm playing that. But Dominion, you can't do that, right? You have to really, you know. Play to your outs on a lot of occasions, more so than you would in other classes. You have to really think about your sequencing and what potential draws could affect. I don't know. I, I like Dominion a lot because it's very, very skill intensive, but also why I don't play it a lot because I'm garbage. Oh, no, I, I, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I was messing around with a mid uh, uh, Daggerfall as well, in, interestingly enough, but I was I pulled a lot of the consume mechanics into it. And wanted to try to see kind of what that deck would be with, be like with some of the consume mechanics because I had the ill-fated scholars and stuff. So I'm, I'm running the reapers and I'm running the trespassers, which could be cards that you would play even without that. Um, but then I'm also running the enraged dragon knight. Um, and of course, oh, that I'll card be- is so good. The Enraged Dragon Knight is very, very strong. And if you just get so lucky enough that you've been able to dump an imbued Breton into your graveyard by the time you play it, um, you know, it's not bad to deal two damage to your opponent's face and pull out a four mana six five with Ward. 
Um, yeah, I could see how that might be considered strong in some circumstances. Yeah, yeah, it, it isn't. <laughs> it isn't bad. It's pretty freaking decimating to your opponent, and you're like, oh, you thought it was bad on the second Alfik. Whenever I was gonna get the storm elemental, well, uh, little did you know, I'm just gonna get this four mana like six five with ward, <laughs> and, uh, and now you have to deal with that. And it, it's it is really if if you can pull that off, it's really decimating. Which is why you gotta have that um, uh, the the discerning thief. I think is the name. Oh of my card. god, that card is the. Ian Bits put out a video of the most underrated cards in Tesla right now, and his choice for intelligence was Discerning Thief. I wholeheartedly agree that card is very, very strong. Yeah, I think that's like I don't I don't understand why Daggerfall Mage gets played over that card. It just it does different things, right? Like it depends on if you want long-term value on the board or long-term value in your hand. Daggerfall Mage is a lot better at, um, I don't want to say controlling a board, but at contesting a board, because you can, especially in Daggerfall, give it items to buff it up. You can even, you know, it comes with an item if you get the ward break, um, but it's also a lot slower, right? It's saying, I want to take this to, I, I want to get value from a Daggerfall Mage until turn five or six. If my Discerning Thief stops getting value on turn four, then just that one pilfering or that one good trade is probably enough. Yeah, and the, the if you can get two of those pilfers off, because it's kind of like, you know, if I'm going to play Daggerfall Mage, it's just a lot slower. Yes. Because it, in many ways you're playing Daggerfall Mage, yes, because you want to be able to trade on the board, which, to be honest, Discerning Thief can do pretty well. Yes, but, absolutely. 3-4 uh, for 4, or 3-4 for 3. Um, but then on top of that, you're like, oh, I can get this book and buff something, and it's going to give me... You're not really interested in the 2-2, you're interested in the draw card. And Discerning Thief allows you to do that a lot faster and potentially more than one time without having to reward. Um, and you still have the ability to say, like, okay, if you're gonna if if you're gonna play something to contest me, I, I have a, a minion with a higher attack than when I had Daggerfall, and I can ward it, because you're gonna be playing wards in that deck. And and maybe I can ward it up and, and get a really favorable trade with it. I just think that, you know, there was a season, there was a season in this game when Daggerfall Mage really didn't see play, and probably because Sorcerer's Negation was more popular. That's because um, it's because mid-range sorcerer was the best deck in the game for a while. Which yeah, just it, left Daggerfall Mage completely unplayable. And then Telvanni was really, really popular for a while, yeah, which yeah. also made Daggerfall Mage pretty much unplayable. And we're we're not seeing that right now. Um, but I think there is probably a time when Daggerfall Mage won't see as much play as it's seeing currently. I agree. Uh, I also think it depends on how much your deck needs card draw versus it needs like card quality. If your deck wants more cards then Daggerfall Mage tends to be better. If your deck wants to make sure it has better cards, then Discerning Thief tends to be better. Mm. So for instance, I think Discerning Thief is a lot better in like a good stuff Daggerfall deck because if you have um, like one okay... I say if you're like at turn four and all you have is the Earthbone Spinner, the four Magicka, three, two that silences, yes. if there's no silence target, you don't feel great about playing that. But... If you can get a Discerning Thief uh, Pilfer proc in, you can try and draw into something else. You get to, uh, it, it doesn't really count as card advantage, but it get a lot better card quality because you can ditch your Earthbone Spinner for a Bleak Coast Troll, things like that. So I think if your deck is really, really um, concerned about playing good cards on every turn, Discerning Thief's value goes way up. Yeah, and if you just like, if you, I, I love the value of just cycling through your deck. 
period. Like, I want to cycle through my deck, especially if I'm playing Tri-Keller. Like, that's really, really valuable to me. And then if on top of that I'm playing Consume and I can just ditch cards that, quite honestly, I don't even want to play because they're not statistically good for me, um, it's even a bonus. It's like not only did I get to draw a card, but I got to intentionally throw a card away that I never wanted to play and I wanted in my graveyard to begin with. Ill-Fated um, Scholar, get out of here. Yes, yes, Ill-Fated Scholar. I mean, even the uh, even the 4-4 with Ward, um, one of the Ill-Fated Breton, um, even that card is like, yes, dump it in my graveyard. It's so incredibly – I mean, geez, uh, uh, what is it? If you just – dump that in there and then you play the reaper you're playing a four four with ward for two mana that's crazy i just think the upside of consume is so powerful um if if you can get it to go right yeah and there and therein lies the issue it goes yeah. it goes right about 50 percent of the time yeah and other times it just feels too weak i don't know if maybe there's just not enough for it to work on yet for it to be powerful maybe if i i feel like consume i don't feel like wax wayne is going to come back but i do feel like consume is a mechanic that we may see in a future set oh i want wax wayne to come back though i do too uh, i don't i just don't i don't see it coming back outside I, of the set that has moons in it yeah no i don't either but that mechanic is so impeccably well designed it is from a design standpoint my favorite mechanic bar none because it is a mechanic that specifically says, hello, I am a developer. I understand that on-ring versus off-ring can be troublesome for many players. Therefore, we're going to give you utility on-ring and stats off-ring. Mm. I love that solution. Because if you, if you look at all the Wax Wayne cards, all of the, depending on whatever its mana cost is, if you would uh, ring it out to play it a turn early, you get a utility effect. The three mana two two when you ring it out gets lets you draw a card. But if you play it without the ring, or you know on the mana cost that it was intended to be played on in the early game, then you get plus one plus one and drain. And across the board, all of the wax wane effects are other than the the tricksy ones, but all the common level cards that have wax wane are all relatively like that, where you'll get a little bit of utility um, when you ring it out but you get just raw stats for playing it on curve, which is, I, I love that design so much. It, it gives me a lot of inspiration and faith in the developers. Hmm. Interesting. See, I was not a big Wax Wayne. Like, I didn't have a lot of faith in the Wax Wayne mechanic when it came up, um, but there are, I still don't think it's phenomenal, um, but not from like a design perspective. I think it's very interesting from a design perspective. I just mean like straight up competitive. Like oh yeah, no, the cards are trash. Like yeah. by and large, the the cards are not good. But Queen's, the design is cool. <laughs> yeah, Queen's Captain is pretty good. There's there's a couple with every mechanic. There's a couple that are great. Like yeah. the Drothmora Reaper or whatever it's called, and mm-hmm. uh, Midnight Trespasser. Both of those, I play those in my Agro Sork. And I don't even need to consume with them. And if I do, it's an upside. Like, sure. I'm pretty happy to play a 3-2 for two. And sometimes it's a 3-3 three, three for two instead. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, if you're lucky, it's a 4-4 four, four for two. And it'd be great. Yeah, or a th- uh, if you're not playing full consume, it, it wouldn't be. You know, yeah, I think that's the temptation with both Wax Wayne and Consume. And, and it is with any new mechanic that comes out in a set. is like just going too far. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like you have you have your Enraged Dragon Knight or whatever it's called, which mm-hmm. is... Technically a consume card, but you're not playing it in consume decks. You're playing it in decks that want a five four that does two damage. Not it's not quite the same, but technically yeah, it's a consume card. 
Um, sure, it's a consume I, card, but it's bonkers in in battle mage. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, not battle uh, the not mid battle mage, the prophecy battle mage. Bonkers. Yeah, actually, that deck. there's item aggro item battle mage. I think is substantially stronger than prophecy battle mage. Really? Oh, yeah. Because in prophecy battle mage, you're giving up half of your matchups. Because mm-hmm. Prophecy Battle Mage has a trash matchup into control. Yes. Uh, so you're giving up your ability to fight controlled in order to boost your, uh, specifically your aggro and to a lesser extent your mid-range matchups by uh, you know, 5 to 10%, which is very meaningful on ladder. But you're also losing 50% to do that, or 33%, I guess. But depends on representation. Um, mm-hmm. However, the aggro item Battle Mage is equally as explosive, um, but it, it deals with higher quality of threats as opposed to more frequent threats. So, for instance, you can run Manic Jack in that and get a Wardcrafter on him and then a uh, Steel Scimitar, and suddenly he's a 6-6 ward that just gets to beat face freely, and you can't really do much about it. Unless you have mm-hmm. hard removal, which most decks don't run right now if you're not Tribunal. Um, so where Yes. It, it tends to be a lot taller of a deck. It doesn't go quite as wide as Prophecy Battle Mage, but it evens out its matchup spread um, a lot compared to Prophecy Battle Mage, which makes it a more consistently winning deck on ladder. Oh, you heard it here, guys. If you're struggling to win with your Battle Mage deck, go find that aggro item Battle Mage list and run that one because it's better. That said, um, Prophecy Battle Mage will totally get you to Legend if you play it right. Yes, it will. Um, okay, so here's we. I mean, we have talked about a lot already. I mean, we really. I was gonna say we're gonna talk about the meta. Seems like we did a lot of that. Usually, however, when I have someone on the show, I let them give us a little bit about themselves because um, <laughs> it seems like you do a lot of YouTube creation. Um, if you were in the ma- if you watched the Master Series, you got to hear and see Laser Chichen, um interviewing uh, the different players um, during that downtime as they were as they were setting up and, and going between games. And I would imagine that those things were filmed ahead of time; they weren't live. But um, uh, you got to you got to see Laser Jitchen there. He is a member of the the he's a team member of Team Rank Star, um, and uh, you stream. Although it seems like YouTube content is kind of the place where you're finding your home. Um, so tell us a little bit about you, man. Tell us just about like what got you into card games, why Elder Scrolls Legends, um, and uh, and why Team Rank Star, and what you're what you're doing right now. How how'd you get involved with all of this? Well, I like chocolate and long walks on the beach. Mm. Um, yeah. So I I think I followed a similar trajectory to a lot of card game kids. Started playing Pokemon at sure. my you know local TB Toys or whatever it was. Um, Heck yeah, TV toys, man. No one. I know, right? No one toys. You kidding me? This has been closed for a long time. They went so out of business. Oh my god. So I, I I would go there like you know every Saturday with my little brother. We were maybe seven and five or something like that, Mm. um, and get absolutely stomped by people who actually knew how to play the game and who didn't just throw together random piles of cards. We didn't even really know what a deck was. We just knew that these are the cards you play with, and then did that for a little while. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh! came out, started watching that on WB Saturday mornings, and then eventually started playing the card games, because of course we did. That, I kind of... Uh, same kind of story. I went to Toys R Us every Saturday. Bless my mom for driving us and sitting in the parking lot for two hours, for whatever reason. She is the sweetest. Um, wow, yeah, that's that's sacrifice right there. I know, she was great. Is great. Um, but, you know, we did that for a couple of years, 
And the here's where I diverge from a lot of card gamers. I did not go from Yu-Gi-Oh to Magic, which I think is mm-hmm. very, very common. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I mean, I went. I actually went Pokemon to Magic, then to, yeah. then I got into Yu-Gi-Oh real briefly, and then back to Magic. I, I played Magic for I think two days with my mom because we got some of the starter decks while we were at Toys R Us. And I was oh. like, oh, those cards look more cool than the Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Let's try that. And then I had no one to play with, and I didn't continue. Then I didn't play card games for a while. I played mostly role-playing games, which I love card games. I still would consider um, like single-player role-playing games probably tied for, if not my favorite type of games. Okay. Um, but, you know... Card games have a community attached to them, which is a lot of fun. And for a role-playing game, the draw to Elder Scrolls, right? Yeah, exactly. I started by playing uh, the the first two meaningful uh, games that were important to me that I played were uh, Elder Scrolls: Oblivion and Fallout Three. Okay. Now, don't get me wrong, New Vegas is a better game. I will I will debate this with anybody, but Fallout Three means more to me because it was the first like, oh my god, I can do anything kind of game I played. Sure. And Oblivion is important for a similar reason. It was the first game that I like. I was a little bit older when I played Oblivion, so I understood it a lot better. Mm. And so you weren't just wandering around and dying, and then. Oh no, I was, but I knew why I was dying this time. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that for a while, um, and then I started playing Hearthstone. I played that for a, a good long while. I stopped right around when. Uh, Journey to Angoro came out, I think, was the set that I quit on. Yeah, all and the then, dinosaurs, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started playing Legends in, I think, the open beta. I might have gotten into the closed beta, but I don't remember. Sure. But I, I you know, at that point, I had never taken a card game seriously. Uh, I, you know, the best I had ever done on Hearthstone was reach rank 12 or something like that. But if you don't know, the uh, it's 25 to 0, 0 yeah. being Legend. So I, I didn't really take it really seriously. I didn't really learn theory. I had, I couldn't tell you what the term tempo meant until like this time last year. So okay, okay. Um, I played Legends for a bit. And I played it off and on during the core set times. And I started playing a little bit more for real during Heroes of Skyrim. Uh, sure, I think that that expansion drew a lot of people in because, I mean, the the, the following for Skyrim is significant. I, I have put obscene hours into that game, so yeah, we're not even going to talk about that. I, I don't want to embarrass myself. Yeah, uh, uh, that's a that, that was like a, the <laughs> amount of time I could have spent on a second college degree. So we're oh not God, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I started playing then, and then I actually here, here here's the like pivotal moment in Lasers Tesla history. I got coaching from Endozoa one time, and oh, okay, cool. Uh, he was coaching me on mid battle mage. And I was bad at the game. I was I was not good, but I was trying really hard. And uh, I I told him that the reason I wanted to get better was because warp meta tournaments were going on and they had really inconsistent casting. So I wanted to be a caster. And he said, Oh, well, sometimes I cast the warp meta tournaments. Do you want to do it with me next week? And I said, Yes, yes, I do. And let me tell you, I was bad i was so <laughs> bad dude i didn't know what i was talking about i only knew the names of like half the cards but you know that was kind of my motivating factor for learning the game and learning you know concepts like tempo and card advantage and trade priority and 
you know, I, I, I'm still not the greatest. That's why I usually do play-by-play casting, not uh, analytical casting. But the reason I've put all of this time into this game and really tried to get better to varying degrees of success is because I really enjoy casting. Uh, I, I, I say this... I say this more often than not, and I think it's true, but if, it, it may not be. I believe I was the first person in Tessel to uh, primarily identify as a caster and as a player second. And mm. I, I think that's an, a, a niche that I've carved out for myself relatively well. And my, my goal for um, last summer to this summer was cast the Master Series. And you know, I didn't quite cast it, but I hosted it, which I actually think I'm really well suited for. It was a lot of fun. I got to... You know, flex my dramatic muscles and be the personable person, which is a really fun role to play. I get to just, you know, chalk jokes and tell people that we're going on to the next thing to talk about. So, um, sure, I think you did a fantastic job being a host for for the Master Series. I mean, you helped it. I mean, there there can be really painful moments watching these pro series, and there are there are a few games who've done that very well and made it a really enjoyable experience. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, I think Hearthstone did it really well for a while, yes. and then they've gotten some casters who have made it painful for me to listen um, versus enjoyable for me to listen. And I thought that the Master Series flowed very well, um, and I thought that uh, I thought that you and and the crew who did the casting um, did a did a really really good job in terms of making it an enjoyable experience um, to to be a spectator of the game. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That was the intent, after all. Yeah, I mean, it would be weird if you wanted it to be a, an unenjoyable experience. For oh, yeah, I wanted everyone to be miserable. Yeah, I wanted I wanted people to mute it so that they could just see what was happening and not have to hear it happen. That would be a weird, that would be a weird goal for you. Um, you know, Charmer made that joke in front of one of the PGL people, and if you don't know Charmer very well, he's a very um, deadpan humor kind of guy. So at what least, you're saying least, is, in some ways, not charming. Uh, when he's in his persona. Yeah. Cause okay. you know, everyone who does content creation or streams or casts has a persona that they put on to do that. Sure. Um, and Charmer's persona is very dry, witty and morose, which is amazing. I love the character he plays, um, because it's rooted in a, a good amount of truth as well. That is his sense of humor just day to day. But you know, when we were hanging out, he was also lively and hilarious and yelling at people because we hadn't gone to dinner yet and he was told there would be dinner um and, and seeing him make those in-character jokes to pgl people who didn't know his character was hilarious he was like no <laughs> honestly i i don't think this is going to go well and i think everyone's going to hate it the pgl guy's just like i i what <laughs> it was great <laughs> So, um, you know, you're you're also invo- involved heavily with Team Rank Star, and right. you are, I think, what they call them is um, uh, a team a team member, right? Like that's that's how you get the TRS in front of your name on Discord or whatever. Yeah. Um, I really don't know a ton about it. I I mean, even though I'm working with with Team Rank Star right now, and I'm I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Um, I haven't done a ton of research on that. So, um, why now the do they host, does Team Rankstar host the Warp Tournaments? Okay, so I'll just dive into the TRS saga for me in general. Um, so no, Warp Meta is its own organization. Okay. Uh, they're run by a guy named Automaton. Great dude, very friendly, very helpful. Uh, TRS runs its own tournament series called the Team Rankstar Classic. Okay, yes. We are going to be 
paring that down slightly, I believe, in the next coming months, but it will still be around and kicking. Um, and my kind of journey with Rank Star was they were the first quote-unquote like public-facing team in Tessel. There were other teams before. I think that's important to note. Uh, they were basically playtest teams who would work very, very hard together on finding good lists for tournaments, and it, calling TRS the first team would be disingenuous. But they were the first team that focused on content as well as competition. Sure. I mean, they're the if there's a team that you know right now in Legends, it's it's TRS. That's the team that you... Yes. That, I, I, that I think most I think people so. would be familiar with, because the most of the streamers that you click on are involved in, in some capacity with TRS and you don't really see another logo of another team coming up on any streamers. And I think most people that that's how they find out about stuff is either YouTube or, or through Twitch. Yes. And so the way I got started with them was I wanted to write articles about how to be a caster because specifically um, the reason I wanted to do that was because warp meta had uh two tournaments a week for a while, one American time zone and one European time zone. And I also had an outside life. I couldn't cast every single weekend. So uh, Automaton was looking for other people to cast when I, and, you know, to get other people involved, basically. And most people who wanted to cast, uh, they were asked to send in either a video or uh, audio sample, something like that. And most people were not great. To, to varying degrees. And so what I did was I wrote a series of articles on how to do casting because I, you know, saw that there was a need for it. There were people who wanted to cast. They didn't really know what to do, didn't have a lot of training or practice in public speaking, which is something that I had done quite a lot through uh, schooling. And uh, I was in music for a while. So being in front of people was something that was very comfortable for me. So that's how I got started with TRS was by um, writing articles on casting and yeah. because of that, I was part of the content team. All of the games that we have, we have a content team and a competitive team for. Oh, that um, makes sense. Yeah. So that went on for a while. Um, I would write articles here and there about whatever came up. And eventually, uh, we had need for... How do I say this diplomatically? Uh, making sure Endozoa didn't come off like a jerk, basically. Because he has a very... That's, I don't know how diplomatic that was, but sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know. you're good friends with Endozo, I'm assuming, so that's <laughs> fine to say. He has a very straightforward and objective writing style, very scientific writing style, which is phenomenal for conveying information. But it was possible to read it in a, um, a an unintended tone. So mm-hmm. I started being a editor for the Tessel team um, because, you know, if uh, basically Automa or Aphelion, the head of Team Rankstar, said, hey, could you just like look over his articles every now and again, make sure that things are kosher? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I said, well, if I'm doing it for Tessel, why don't I do it for the other games too? Just, you know, hire me as the editor and I will do that as my Rankstar function. So I was the sole editor for Rankstar for a while, which was a colossal pain in the butt because we have like six or seven different teams worth of content. And slowly yeah, I mean, there's hiring. a lot of content that they're putting. I mean, you're, you're editing things every single day for them. Yes. And so mm-hmm. we've been getting editors for different teams. So our eternal team has a dedicated editor. Our uh, Mythgard team has a dedicated editor. And then technically I am the editor for every other team. But really at this point, if it's not Tessel, it's kind of just whoever happens to get to it first. Okay. And then recently, as of like, I don't know, 
within the last month, um, we split the team captain for Tesla into the competitive side and the content side. So I'm taking over uh, the the content duties for the team, which you know I haven't done a whole lot with because I've been moving and like settling st- st- settling into the new apartment. But pretty soon I'm going to be looking to find ways to up our output because it's been in a in a in a low spot for competitive season because. You know, we didn't want to give away our secrets during competitive time. You don't want to be writing articles about stuff you think is really good because the team could use that. So now the competitive season is kind of drawing to a close outside of community community tournaments. Um, we have a little more opportunity to pump content out. Interesting. Now, can I, and you can tell me if this is too personal of a question. I'm just curious because I think other people are are curious about just like the nature of Team Rank Star, how big of an organization they are, and things. Do you work full time for Team Rank Star? Is it a part time thing? Is it a hobby? Um, just something that you really enjoy doing? You like being part of the community? You know what what's that look like for you? Yeah, if, absolutely. If I could ask that. Uh, I so it is not a full time job by any means. Um, I'm a software programmer by by day. Okay. Um, and usually editing when I, you know, get around to it is probably an hour a day, something like that, depending on how much is waiting for approval. Um, the workflow is someone writes something and then checks a box and it says, hey, editor, come look at this. And I use that to go see what I need to look at for the night. Um, usually I don't have more than one or two, excuse me, articles in a night. So it takes me, you know, somewhere between 45 and 90 minutes to edit those based on how long they are and how intricate of uh, writing it is. Sometimes when I'm slacking, then, you know, it piles up a little bit and suddenly there's four articles that I need to look at and schedule. And really, it's my own fault. So I made my bed. I guess I'll lie in it. But it's more hobby level. It's, you know, it gives me beer money, which is great. Actually, it's, it's how I fund whaling card games is the money that I make from editing and casting is the only money that I allow myself to spend on card games because otherwise it would get way out of hand. Um, It could. Yes. (laughs) You know, it's not like I'm raking in the dough, but it's, it's enough to um, subsidize one of my favorite hobbies. So it works out really well. And in terms of just being part of the team, it's great. They're honestly just all really cool people that I like a lot. Um, and that's outside of just the Tesla team. The Mythgard team is really, really nice. The people, um, we have a, a chat for all of the captains and they're all great too. So it, it honestly, it's kind of just great. Everyone on the team is really nice and I, I love being a part of it. And I that's have awesome. for as long as I've been part of it. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I've enjoyed my, I, I think I've messaged back and forth with um, the founder of, of Team Rank Star and then, uh, and with you a little bit. And of course, you know, I have recorded with Deadbroke Nerd, who um, is, I don't know if he's competitive or a content person, content, content for Team Rank Star. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it's been really, it's been really cool to kind of step into that community a little bit I, I i honestly didn't expect it like i i shot a message out um to team rank star just like hey i'm, I'm starting up a podcast i don't know if you guys want to do something together but i know that you're kind of one of the main content creators for this game and um they messaged me back right away and i think part of that is because there there isn't a ton of people making content for this game right now um there's there's some people making content for this game but it, there's not like a, a crazy amount of people making content for tessel um and so it's it you, you can kind of get into the market um 
pretty easily, which is which is really cool. And I, you know, I've encouraged people to also, you know, create content for the game because it gives people more things to engage with and um, more ways to learn about the game, which I think is a, a really good thing for a game like Tessel. Yes. And and on that note, um, the biggest gap Tessel has is in non-video content. There are plenty of people streaming, plenty, not plenty, but a good amount of people doing YouTube content. Um, but written and auditory content is the most scarce in our game. And Rankstar is always looking for talented people. So anyone listening, if you have any desire to write articles or work on podcasts, things like that, hit me up. We'll see what we can make happen. Yeah, I'm going to start writing for uh, for the Elder Scrolls. Art. I'm going to write write an article a month, I think, um, sort of documenting and looking at my climb to legend that month and uh, and what decks got me where um, and and why I think that happened. And just sort of like a little bit of a story. I'm, 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 when it comes to writing, um, I'm not a phenomenal writer. And That's what I'm here in, for, buddy. Yeah, well, being in my master's, like I've had to at least – purchase Grammarly um, and, <laughs> and and learn a little bit. It's like funny, like in, in, in high school and things like my, my thing was math, like math, science, um, physics, like those were the things that I were like my go-to things that I enjoyed. And I came into a profession that has me preaching and writing. Um, and that is, that's what I do on a regular basis, right? Yeah. I do a lot, you know, every time that I have to be up front, I'm writing a 10 page paper. Um, and so I do a lot more writing now than I used to. And so when I have the time, I'm going to begin writing occasionally, hopefully like maybe once a month for the legends team, um, putting some sort of an article together just to talk about the game. Cause there isn't a ton of that out there right now. Heck yeah, dude. I'm looking forward to editing it. Yeah. Well, you might regret saying that you don't Grammarly doesn't catch everything, man. I'm telling you, it could be really bad. Um, <laughs> Well, we've been recording for, I think, just shy of an hour. Um, I'd love to get into the one of the main features that we wanted to take a look at, um, Empire Token Deck today. Um, and this, uh, specifically, the one that we're going to be looking at is Faldir's Deck from the Masters series. Um, and I had picked up this deck and begun playing it and definitely did. I think I pushed into Legend with it last month, and I think I pushed... Uh, maybe from rank four up to rank one with it this month. Um, this has been a deck that I personally have been playing a lot because I think it's a, a really interesting deck. Um, and, and like you can find this a lot of different places. Um, but this is, like I said, we're going to be taking a look at the, the empire deck, the token empire deck from full deer. So uh, laser edition, just tell us a little bit, cause you said you had been, dabbling with and playing um some some token decks and you also thought that there was a couple of interesting cards included in this in this list um that you wanted to to speak to yeah so the the really brilliant thing the about the way Thaldir constructed this deck uh that charmer pointed out very very astutely several times in the cast is that it's an aggro deck that can very well uh, fall back onto a more mid-range approach. So, uh, for instance, the, 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 to me, the, the card that epitomizes that, that fact is a full three copies of Emperor's Blade. Now, Emperor's Blade, it, it's a four Magicka, four five, uh, yellow and purple, and it says uh, slay, heal for four, I think it is? Heal, heal for, for three. Around. Heal for three, thank you. Now that is that's it's not a tokens card, right? It, it's it, it's not at all. 
barely even considerably a an aggro card. Um, it's not an aggro card. Yeah, it, like it's really it's a mid-ranger mid-ranger de- Yeah, mid-ranger defensive card. Exactly. And what Thuldir has done is he's made a uh, not literally, so bear with me, but a, a defensive token deck. Right? It's a deck that has a lot of ways to get on the board very, very early with very chunky things like the Wily Kiva, the two Magicka, two, four yellow beast. Mm-hmm. And then has a metric buttload of combat tricks. It has uh, things like the Gavel of the Ordinator. It's only one, but still great card. Two copies of Shining Saint. Uh, it really helps that I have the deck list up right now. But lots of ways to make combat go in his favor. So what yeah, he's, he's got did, that single copy of Grizzly Gourmet too, yeah. which I think is a really really interesting conclusion, especially against the crazy amount. I mean that is such a great answer against um, Daggerfall Mage right now and yes. Wardcrafter. Uh, that single copy of Grizzly Gourmet for me, it, and, and not only that, but you can combo it with Shining Saint, so you can actually later in the game you can grizzly you can shining saint grizzly gourmet say a hive defender and turn that three six guard that was stopping you from damaging face into a zero one sweet roll that heals the creature that you traded with yeah exactly and then at the top end it has three cliff racers which you're running in every aggressive green deck ever three divine fervors same kind of thing but for yellow and the interesting things are he's running clivia tharn which is a bonkers card you probably run it in every empire deck except for the most low curve of aggressive decks um but still it it has defensive capabilities because it gives an entire lanes worth of creatures guard and a copy of wilds incarnate and i think that is along with the uh, emperor's blades the most indicative of his game plan this is an aggro deck that is completely happy going long Mm -hmm. now uh for anyone who's listening who doesn't know the concept of tech cards, a tech card is a card that you are including in your deck for a specific purpose, and that is meant to have a, a function in one or maybe two matchups only. For instance, uh, running Curse is something that you might put in a green deck if you wanted to be really, really good against Wardcrafter. That would be a tech card. And the way that Thuldir teched this deck is really, really cool. Generally, this is very, very broad strokes. Uh, so in Tesla, you can run up to three copies of a card. Very generally, you run three copies of cards that you want to see every single game, mm-hmm. or that you would be happy seeing in every single game. You run two of cards that you would be happy to see in every game, but never want to see more than one of. And you run one copy of something that you want occasionally, that probably won't help in every matchup, but in some matchups can blow it wide open. Okay, so let me – I'm going to reiterate that because I think what you just gave us there, Lasergician, is is probably worth listening to the episode for people ah. who are building – who are people who are building decks and who are interested in learning the game because in many cases people just don't understand why do you run two. I, I, I literally can't understand why I'm looking at this deck and it has two instead of three. I don't understand. So just to go over that again, you run three copies of a card that you want to see every game and you'll be happy to see every game. You run two copies of a card that you would be happy to see every game, but you probably don't want to see more than one of every game. I would, I would run, actually state that stronger. You would never want to see more than one of in a game. Okay, so that's again broad strokes. But I never want to see more than one. And you're going to run one copy of a card that is a tech card that you probably don't want to see, but in select scenarios, it's going to blow the game wide open. And you may even be 
you, you, when you know what you're going up against, you might even be hard mulliganing for that one tech card looking for it because you know that's your way to win the game. And and all of the players who are better than me that are listening, I know, I know it's just broad strokes. It's just a guideline. Um, like you can alter your tech cards as you want. So for instance, uh, Belligerent Giant in mid-Battle Mage, the 7-4 for 7 that bounces something, mm-hmm. is a tech card. That's a card that is extremely good into matchups where opponents are playing tall threats. If they put down a Blood Dragon and then you put down this, they have spent their entire turn doing nothing, and then you get a 7-4 for it. Um, And if there's a lot of decks that play tall threats, you want two of those instead. That's still a tech card, but you're just wanting it more frequently. So again, it's shades of gray. And I think, to be fair... It, the the mid in mid BM there's a chance that the belligerent giant isn't just a tech card right like there are other there are other scenarios where you run belligerent giant as a, de- a tech card because you actually want to use it for support removal I think that the tech option is like just an added it's just like cream on the top of everything else like you you do want a seven four with breakthrough and if you could bring it out so that the next turn you might be able to play your um your big summon to get your eight, eight lava uh, astronaut, you know? Yeah. Um, well, so the, the, the way you distribute your big five power creatures, that is the way you've teched your deck. So for instance, um, if you have three copies of blood dragon, but only one copy of belligerent giant, that might be because you're running into a lot of, uh, chunky things at like four and five cost, like hive defenders and phalanx exemplars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want to be able to contest those earlier, which the belligerent giant won't do as well. On the other hand, if you're seeing a lot of other mid-battle mages, then the value of bouncing one of their big things goes way up. So you can have multiple tech cards, but the way you tech your deck is in how many of what you use. So mm-hmm. to bring it back to this Empire token deck, uh, the, the tech cards are very few and far between. There are mostly staples and three ofs in this deck, which is good. You really want very consistent aggro decks. An aggro deck that is not consistent is not going to reliably kill anybody. Yes. But it has a couple of really interesting inclusions. I already went over the Gallo of the Ordinator for field control. Uh, Shining Saint is a two of, which says, I am happy uh, controlling the board before I go face. This Mm -hmm. says, I want favorable trades before I want your runes destroyed. Mm. Skinned Hound is exactly the same thing. It's saying, all right, if you have any form of aggression... This skinned hound is going to do work. Grizzly Gourmet, same kind of thing. That's a little more uh, narrow focused. That's more really for blue matchups. But in general, it, it is a card that can be very impactful if it goes off correctly. Sure. Um, I mean, Grizzly Gourmet is still really strong if you're playing aggression and they're they're dropping um, uh, the 2-3 vampire with guard and drain. Um, yeah, absolutely. Barrowstalker. Yeah, Barrowstalker. Like this is still a really good card for that scenario as well. But all of the tech cards in Thaldir's Empire deck are defensive or board control cards. They are not reach, they are not draw, they're not removal. They're all, as far as I can tell, I'm just making sure I'm not a liar. With the exception yeah. of Dawnbreaker. Which, well, Dawnbreaker you can only run one of anyway. Yeah, and that is, but that that that's probably the only card in his deck that's like clear reach, right? That's, yes. that that's the reasons. one reach card that he has. He's making it, you play around. Yeah, it's that, Cliff Racers, and Divine Fervor. And and I guess Empire Oathman to an extent. But really, Dawnbreaker is the big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Now, let me ask you this. What do you think about these the triple edict? Because 
there has been games where I've played this deck and I really do not want Edict in it. So uh, that's a tricky one because that is a nod to the fact that this is a tournament deck and not a ladder deck. Mm-hmm. On tournament, um, we saw Thaldir was very, very willing to take this deck long and get into the late game, turns 8, 9, 10. Um, and one of the matches that he won against Karakon Jewel, if I'm not mistaken, was won in exactly that manner where he relied on his beefier creatures that the spell sword colors offer you and use them to get board control, use those edicts to good effect by, you know, keeping the board, his board didn't let Karakon Jewel get a footing in it and then attacked afterward. He was the, the controlled deck. He played a mid range approach and that's, I, I still think you probably want to run all three on ladder because it's basically Javelin that you don't have to high roll because Piercing Javelin, the prophecy removal for five, if you get it as a prophecy, is amazing. If you draw it in hand, is kind of bad, right? It, it's yeah, a five less than amazing. Don't do much. And so Edict, you still want that removal effect. That's why the Grizzly Gourmet is included, but you want it earlier and you want it a little bit more reliable and it has the added benefit of rarely relevantly, but when it is relevant, incredibly importantly, killing supports. So yeah, which I, this deck cannot do. And in a mirror match or a token matchup where you're running into other Divine Fervors, that support removal is probably the thing that wins you the game. Especially given that he's going for board control in the rest of the construction of the deck. Mm-hmm. So I think you probably always run three Edicts. It's a very powerful card. But it's, it, it's, I mean, a, it's, it's a three so up. You good. hope you never draw more than one. I mean, Edict at this point, I mean, since we got the, the change um, to cast into time, Edict's the best removal in the game, right? Uh, the best prob- single probably. target removal in the game. It's, it's either Edict or Javelin, and it depends on if you get Javelin off Prophecy or not. <laughs> sure. if, you, if you take out the high roll potential, then yeah, Edict's the best. But Okay, so let me ask you this. If you're playing Spellsword and you have a room for three more cards, do you run, like, let's say you're playing Token Spellsword and you have room for three more cards, are you running three Edicts or three Javelins? If I'm running three of, of one of them, probably mm-hmm. Edicts. Probably Edicts, yeah. I, I agree. I think that you're right. In the situation where you can draw the Prophecy, it's great, but if I am have to choose three and I'm going to be in one or the other, I'm, I'm doing Edict, just kind of like Tholdir did here. I think the Edict is the right choice here over the javelin in this case yeah and and prophecy cards are weird to evaluate evaluate when you're putting into your deck right you want it you only should include a prophecy card if it's good in the average case and the average case is you draw it the average case is not getting it off a prophecy Mm -hmm. like for instance my aggro assassin deck that i used to hit legend this month runs four lightning bolts now lightning bolts are being cut from decks competitively very very often and there's a good reason for that the average case is kind of bad like most creatures pass the lightning bolt test, quote unquote, which is either don't die to lightning bolt, or if they do, then your opponent just took a big enough tempo loss that they're probably going to be in a worse position than if they had done something else. Hmm. Um, and the reason they're cutting bolts is because the average case is that. Now, for me, my average case in Agro Assassin is awesome, four damage, yay! So when sure, it's reach. Exactly. When you're looking at your deck and whether to include these prophecy cards or not, um, think about what's going to happen on average. Don't think about, oh, but if I get the cloud rest off a rune break, then I blow the game out. That's why Thulder's only running one cloud rest, because, yeah, if he gets it off a 
prophecy, then he blows out the game. But on the average case, it's still just another really solid combat trick, which goes along into a lot of the other themes that he's got going in this deck. And if Shining Saint isn't a card, you might have seen two of the uh, two of the Cloud Rest because he does want to play for board. But, you know, he already has the, the two Shining Saints in his deck. So maybe there's not room for more than one Cloud Rest. He doesn't want to be that tricky because he is an aggro deck. He's not strictly a trade for the board type of deck here. Exactly. So I think one of the complexities with this deck that I got into and I, I really struggled with was knowing this deck, it's... it's because you're so early in the game when you need to make this decision, you got to decide whether you're pushing face and giving them cards because you're going to be the aggressor and you're going to push them down. Or if you're not giving them cards um, because you you, you want to be the aggressor, but you want to be the aggressor at the right moment with this yes. deck. And that has, this was a, a, this for me was a very difficult deck to figure that out on because you really do need to make that decision by turn three with this deck. Yeah, you have to decide, am I playing for board? Am I playing for face? Because that will dictate pretty much all of your plays after turn three, maybe four. Now, I will say that something else, if you're playing this deck and you want to get out and and try this, because this deck has, I'm trying to look, you know, one, two, three, four, five, uh, six, maybe six or seven, I guess, if you have the, the, the... Morog Thong Aspirants, you have a couple more legendaries in it, but it doesn't run a crazy amount of legendaries. Um, and a lot of the legendaries are replaceable. Yeah, they're replaceable, and many of them you get, right? You can get the Black Dragon, um, you can get uh, um, out of a out of a deck, um, or out of, uh, that one out of comes a story. out of a set. Yeah, out of a story. And, and Wilds Incarnate, you could replace that if you if you didn't really want to run that, um, and, but you can get that out of buying a, a pack of, or a set of cards with gold, and, and you guarantee to, to get that card as well. Yeah, um, I'm looking through here. The only legendaries I would say are like actually very important to the deck are Dawnbreaker and Anasi. Clivia Tharn is very 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 nice, and that'd be my third one. But Dawnbreaker and Anasi are probably the only ones you really need in order to play this. Now, what about Varen? because <laughs> varian's a four mana four six that reads when your rune is broken instead of drawing a card you heal five so because this card was literally everywhere at masters uh varian's weird um we had a lot of discussions about varian at the master series and it's a very polarizing card in that you either think it completely warps the game every time it's played or you think it's utter trash um <laughs> I, I I really don't know which one is correct, but I know it's one of the two because <laughs> it's either a terrible card or an amazing card. Because in the in the games where um, the heal is relevant, it's really good on say the last two runes when you're at ten like eleven like eleven to fourteen health. Because then you're denying your opponent lethal, and by that point, either you have enough to swing for lethal yourself on the crackback, or you're already going to lose, and there's not like any cards you're going to draw that make a change. Um, for instance, this deck runs one Prophecy. It has one copy of, of Cloud Rest Illusionist. You, you don't count on that, and that means that if you're in a position where Varen's heal matters for your staying alive, you're just going to die the next turn anyway. Now, on the flip side... 
if you do have enough to swing for lethal on the crackback, then you have completely altered how this game looks because your opponent no longer has the option to swing for their own lethal. So I, I really don't know how to think about Varen. I think it's probably worth including. I, I, I lean more towards the completely broken side than I lean toward the completely garbage side. But it's really hard to evaluate. I think it really depends on the deck, right? Um, it, in this deck specifically, I feel like it's much better than um, even, say, uh, like Guildsworn. Because I, I, I saw it. I saw it in Guildsworn, and I, and I understand why it's in control Guildsworn, because it, it slows your opponent down, they have to throw six damage into it, it comes out on turn three or four, like, I completely understand why it's in there, but Guildsworn also, like, would, I've seen this card come down before, and I'm like, you know what, you can't deal with my board, and I can deal so much damage over the next two turns that I can blow through this thing. Well, here's here's the reason it's good in Guildsworn. Guildsworn runs healing. It'll mm-hmm. run uh, Golden Initiate and usually Ravenous Hunger if you're playing the Rage equivalent uh, to heal back and stabilize after Varen has bought you a turn or two. Yes. That's that's not the case in this deck. This is uh, Varen is really weird for me in this one because the deck already has so many tools to take board control and to keep board control that I don't see where you're ever really worried. The one case I can see Varen being absolutely insanely good in this is when you're uh, already stabilized and your your board is big and their board is small but they're in the reach phase if they're running bolts they still have Encano sitting around things like that are where i think varen can be busted in this deck um, yeah because it just completely denies those reach cards it's just yeah, like, okay, you can run them but it doesn't matter <laughs> you've spent six turns fighting for board control away from your aggro item battle mage opponent you've stabilized your board is real big but they are running underworld vigilante um and if they put that alongside one more attacker they get lethal well suddenly varin says no i get to develop a four six and also not die next turn and then I kill you next turn. So it's it's a very narrow situation where I think this is good. However, it's a one of in a 75 card deck. So it is a tech card. It is teched, I think, as a way to prevent reach from closing out the game. And in that situation, it functions very, very well. Yeah, and you do have to be really careful when you choose to play this card. This isn't always a card that on turn four you drop it. I mean, there's some cards, like it's on turn five. If you have Blood Dragon in your hand, you're probably putting Blood Dragon on the board. Um, You know, if on, you know, turn three, you have something in each lane and you have a Pit Lion in your hand, you're putting Pit Lion on the board. You know, there's some cards. And sometimes your hand is Shadow Shift, Gavel, and Varen. Well, I guess I'm playing Varen then. Yeah, and in that scenario, like, you're going to put them on the board, but you do need to, like, there are some times on turn four where there is a better option, even though this has more statistics. Yep. Because you don't want your you really don't want your opponent to play the fact that you have this on the board to their advantage. Exactly. Um, and they can do that in this deck. They can do it. It's it's a really interesting card, and I've been toying around with it because I did see it come up. I, I crafted it right after the Master Series decks got released, and I've been sort of toying around with it to see how I like it. I will say this. I'm playing the Control um, All-Mary deck to, to go into Legend, and it didn't get put into that deck, so I haven't loved it enough that, like, I I felt it, it's felt bad in my hand yes. often enough 
that I haven't wanted to put it in all my decks that have yellow. I, I think usually it is the card that I need to cut the most that I want to cut the least. Because hmm. the, the success case is so cool. But more often than not, it's just clunky and not doing what you needed to do. Yeah, and you're just like, I really wish I was playing Hive Defender over this right now. Yeah. Uh, exactly it would do its job better here um yeah man well hey we we've talked about a heck of a lot um and uh yeah i don't want to keep you all night long um and so uh i don't i don't know i think that uh we we had talked about maybe talking about events stuff um is there anything like really quick that you want to highlight or I, I know that um cvh had talked about it kind of briefly at masters um and then i think again um on the stream uh with abel um and i, I don't know if there's anything that you want to just you have insight or thought real quick on the events that are going to be coming to the game soon um i think chaos arena is dumb uh so i don't really care much about that but i love gauntlet i love a lot of the other events they do um and i know more so than my own feelings, a lot of players really loved all of the events and are really looking forward to it. And personally, I think anything that the game does to improve player engagement and player retention is a good thing. So mm-hmm. I am very much looking forward to those. And selfishly, they are uh, criminally easy ways to get YouTube content. So that's always good for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I guess they would be that. Um, I, I'm excited to try them out and I hope, I hope they come up with some creative stuff. I didn't do a ton of the events whenever they were a part of this game. Um, and maybe I, I should have done more of them, but when you're building a collection, it's hard to take the risk of going into an yeah. event. It's like, I don't know my, if I really want to go into it. I'm nervous that it will be a waste. Uh, my, my one thing is I would love chaos arena if they got rid of two conditions, one delete the animal lane that is high rolly and stupid. Yeah. And I hate that. And delete the one where you trade decks. Oh, yeah, that's stupid, too. If they got rid of those two, I think Chaos Chaos Arena is great. But I run Mm. into at least one of those every time, and it kind of just ruins the run for me. Yeah, yeah, it's not not fun. Yeah, other than that, events are amazing, and I, I think they make a lot of people happy. And for that reason, I can't wait until they're back. Yeah, the animal lane is the worst. Yes, yes, it is. It is so, it is so bad. Okay. Well, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, um, why don't you tell people how, if like, if they if they wanted to get connected with you and um, see that YouTube content, see what you're putting out there, and um, uh, and, and what you're about, uh, how could people find you? How could people get connected with you? Yeah. So on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, you can find me at the username Lasergician. Um, I'm on Discord. You can find me in the Team Rank Star server. Always, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you need to find me, I'm always there. And beyond that, my my DMs are always open. And if you are interested in being a content creator for TRS, uh, hit me up. We are always looking for talented people. Awesome. Um, if you're looking to get connected with us, um, you can email me at uh, eslegendscast at gmail.com. That's eslegendscast at gmail.com. Um, you could also find us on Discord now, um, Beefquake. A little shout out to Beefquake, a community member in our community, um, was really excited about the podcast. He set up and is um, doing all of the administration for our Discord server. Um, that's awesome. And we've already got some like great people. So like a little Jamie's in there, Laser Gishans. 
Jones in there, um, Dead Broke Nerds in there, uh, Bradford Lee's in there, uh, Alameo's in there. And so if you're looking to a, a place that has kind of like a, a group, good group of people to come and get connected with, and you can also post in the podcast Q&A channel to get stuff on the show, um, which we, uh, which I might have to go back and hit like one more question for you because I might have missed something. We can close out the show that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that uh, I, I, I tell people most of the shows, I'm a pastor in my day-to-day work um, and I work at a church and so my heart is to support the community I know that the online world can be a rather dark uh, and difficult place to be and it's rampant with a lot of really great stuff but a lot of depression and anxiety and things and so if you're struggling um, you're not alone and I would love to to talk with you and to pray for you and so you can always email me um, I'd love to listen to you and I would love to be praying for you so if there's any way that I could be supporting you um, I, I'm here to support this community and, and that's part of my heart and the last thing is if you really want to support the show more um, you can even go to our patreon page and check that out I don't really do much with that but it is there um, because I do need to get um, some new pieces of equipment and anything that comes in through that will go towards some piece of equipment to help make the show better including a little recording room that we're going to be building one way or the other um, and a computer to be able to um, do the show on uh, that's all the ways to to get can oh, you can also just send me a request on the game itself I'm the 113 lift the 113th lift on legends I still have plenty of room in my friends so if you want to send me a friend request on there you can you can find me on there as well um, so yeah that's all the way to get connected with me let's close out this episode laser Edition because I did have a couple of other people who did ask I think some some great questions yeah, speaking uh, of uh beefquake it looks like they asked does tesla need a rotation what would it ideally look like do you want to talk about that real quickly well sure i'm not even, i've addressed it before though so i think you'd oh, love you? to hear from 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 you so all right here's here's my hot take on rotation desperately need it the pool of cards is way too big and it makes creativity uh, a little stifled because there are so many good cards that it's very, very hard for other playable but not top-tier cards to get any spotlight, so rotation would be amazing. Um, here's here's my, my personal hot take on what rotation would look like the best. No core set. I think the core set is bad because um, it makes way too many games way too samey, relying on the same cards all the time. Mm-hmm. What I would like instead is reprints. This is something that only Magic does. I don't know of any other game that does this in the digital space. A reprint is where you say, um, if you have a copy of, let's say, Cloudrest Illusionist, um, it it was released before rotation happened, but we're making it a part of this new set as well. So it belongs to multiple sets and therefore is legal in any format where those sets are included. The reason I think that would be better for the game, in my opinion, is because that means you can bring tricolor in and out very easily. In mm, my perfect world, my perfect world, Moons Over Elsewhere would be the cutoff point for rotation the first time. Anything that happened before then is sent to the eternal format, and anything that happens after then is sent to the standard, whatever you want to call it, rotating format. Um and the reason for that is because the community is so polarized on tricolor. Let's take it away for just a little while. And if it's worse after an expansion, we can just reprint one singular tricolor card and bring back the entire class. Mm-hmm. And we don't need um, a core set 
or moving any tricolor cards to a core set in order to make that happen. And the other thing is I'm really tired of playing against Piercing Javelin. I think it's the worst design card in the game. Well, maybe not, but it's 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 really annoying. Um, but I don't want it gone forever, right? I don't want that card Hall of Famed, to use a Hearthstone term, which is moved uh, to the Eternal-only format, even though it's in the core set. I just yeah. don't want it available all the time. So if, say, um, we split the core set in half and say every year when we rotate, we switch which half is available in standard, I think rotation would be in a very good position. Yeah, I think the reprinting idea is really cool. And just like a little added bonus on top of that, I'd be like, hey, if you're going to reprint cards, give me a reason to open them up in the new set and make a new artwork for them. Yeah, or like have different premium artwork, like something to chase. Yeah, I mean, as a player, like I would be like, oh man, I don't really want to open up a Cloudrest Illusionist in this new set. It's a jip. I already have a set of Cloudrest Illusionist. But if there was a new Cloudrest Illusionist with new artwork, that would be sick. Because two things: one, I'd want the three copies with the new artwork, and two, if I was playing, I wanted to show off. Man, I played from way back when when Cloudrest Illusionist looked yep. like this. Then I could just throw Cloudrest, my my old school Cloudrest Illusionist, into my new what to use a magic format standard format um and uh no no it's not called standard standard is uh hearthstone no it's called standard and magic it's called standard magic i can throw it in my my old my old school artwork cloud rest into my standard deck and be like yeah like i i used to play back when this was the artwork for the card i know that there's some like hesitance around printing new artwork for cards but that was one of the things that i absolutely loved about elder scrolls legends that hearthstone refused to do because they didn't want to confuse players and to be honest with you it did confuse me a little bit but i would love to see more alternate artwork for cards in the future i just think that's a really cool idea and i really enjoy it me too and i think reprints would facilitate that really well now i i I don't think that's ever going to happen i think core set is going to be the core set and it'll be fine um but in in a perfect world, which is I think what Beefquake uh, Beefquake was asking, I would prefer reprints over um, a core set. And this is an argument completely devoid of any economic knowledge. I, I have not thought through the economics of it at all. Sure, this is just like in the perfect world. This is my preference. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's perfectly okay. Um, awesome. Well, you know, we have some questions here that I could ask a different person at a different time that that had also come in. Um, but you answered the question about your hair from a little Jamie. We answered Beef Beefquake's question as well, and I think we had a really great conversation, even about just some of the core about how to craft a deck, how to tech a deck. Um, and what to do when you're playing the game. I think if you listen to this episode, you'll definitely be a better Elder Scrolls Legends player. Thank you so much, Laser Edition, for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, guys, this is going to do it for episode 10 of uh, Legends Cast. Once again, if you want to connect with us, get on that uh, get on that Discord channel or send me an email. Um, would love to connect with you and have you part of the community. That's going to do it for us here at Legends Cast for episode 10. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Elder Scrolls Legends. If you want to support Legends Cast, you can always leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, or you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash legendscast. Be sure to come back next week and make sure that you check out our sponsor, both Inked Gaming and Team Rankstar at teamrankstar.com.